When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Ooh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 100 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm, I wanted to let you know that Facebook parent company Meta is confirming that it is going to stop offering podcast integration and it's going to close down its overall audio hub in the next couple of weeks. That means that the Mistress Carrie podcast will no longer automatically appear on your feed if you liked my official Facebook page. So, to keep getting notifications that new episodes of the Mistress Carrie podcast are here, make sure you follow and subscribe wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. The Mistress Carrie podcast is available on Apple, Google, Spotify, Odyssey, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Deezer, Overcast, TuneIn, Player FM, Podcast Republic, Downcast, Beyond Pod, Podbean, Podcrusher, Bullhorn, Podkicker, Pandora, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Amazon, Podcast Addict, Mozilla, Castbox, and so many more. You can get more links and more details at mistresscarry.com. Well, we've made it to 100 episodes. I can't believe it. And I wanted to make sure we had an extra special guest for our 100th episode. And I'm happy to say this week we're joined by Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm. This coming Friday, May 6th, Hailstorm will release their new album, Back from the Dead. And this summer, Hailstorm is headed out on tour with The Pretty Reckless, The Warning, and Lilith Czar. They've got a tour stop scheduled at the Leader Bank Pavilion in Boston on July 19th, and tickets are available now. There's a link with more details in the show notes of this podcast. Lizzie and I had a lot to catch up on. The writing process of the new album, Back from the Dead, through COVID. The song, Inspiration, during a pandemic. She talked about her relationship with the fans. Touring. The side gigs as a video host and interviewer that she was doing. How she started painting. She talked about women in rock. Living in Nashville. And so much more. I've known Lizzie for a long time, and she has always manifested the true spirit of rock and roll. And I'm so excited to have her as my guest on episode 100 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. So allow me to reintroduce you to Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm.
Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. The hair is so lovely. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stain, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to... You have the privilege of listening to Mistress Carrie. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Lizzie Hale! What's going on? It's so good to see you, darling. It's so good to see you, too. (laughs) Last time I had you on the show, you were on with Amy. Yes. And this is a big week for both of us because this week your album is coming out. And this week you are episode 100 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. Oh, I'm so honored. That's awesome. So I wanted to have you on the week of your album release because it's a big week for both of us. Congratulations. Congratulations to you, too. You hit 100. I mean, that's no small feat. That's a lot of talking, girl. That's a lot of talking. (laughs) I've released 100 episodes, one every week. I haven't missed a week. And then there's been a bunch of bonus episodes and all kinds of other stuff. Um, There's like 600 and something things that have come out on the podcast since COVID. It's kind of crazy. That's really crazy, dude. That's awesome, though. So tell me about this whole thing that the album's coming out this week. Yep. And- You started working on this Mm pre-COVID. How does that brick wall affect the writing process of a record when the world is totally fine and then the world goes insane literally overnight (laughs) for you? Literally, um, it would have been a very, very different record if, if the if the world hadn't changed and hadn't stopped. So um, it was a it was a huge factor, you know, I mean, considering, well, there's a, there's a lot of different things. I mean, like professionally just being out of your element, um, all of a sudden the, uh, you know, the future stops, the plans stop, the touring stops, the camaraderie with your bandmates stops, you know, all of these little things that you, that you hold near and dear. And then what ends up happening is that you realize, well, Okay, all of those things that are a part of my life, this this band, a live show every now and again to get, you know, get out of that dark cloud, um, your community, the, the people that you see every day, um, the forward movement, you know, the mission. Um, when all of that is taken away, you don't realize how much you use that to combat other things in your life. You use that as part of your therapy, as some of the tools in your arsenal to keep away um, depression and, you know, um, anxiety and unsurety. And also that keep away that self-doubt. You have that those little boosters every now and then so really i mean with this album the only weapon that we had left in our arsenal was just to write and we didn't even know because like everything shut down and we had had 
maybe some future plans of like, okay, when we get some songs developed, we'll go in the studio. But even that was super unknown. So you just have to put all of the puzzle pieces in your head, you know, together through writing. And it's just, uh, yeah, it was, it was a crazy roller coaster ride. It really was. Is this record darker because of everything that you went through? Would it have been more of a party record if COVID hadn't happened? Probably, probably. I mean, honestly, we didn't even realize, I think, until after we were listening to mixes, how heavy this record is and how dark it got. And I don't think we were consciously trying to do that because sometimes you can go and be like, this is going to be heavy. But man, you know, we had to put it somewhere. We can't lay it out on stage. So if it's a little angsty, that's why. I just talked to Dorothy recently who, you know, was writing a record at the same time. She said, I can't wait to hear the Hailstorm record. She was talking about it. And she was talking about that it was fortunate timing that she was already working on a record when the whole world shut down. Do you see it as fortunate timing too that you didn't get pulled off the road or have to race back to the States on, on tour in Europe? Um, exactly. I think there are a lot of silver linings to that. Um, I mean, at first, like when lockdown first happened, you know, like back in the good old days, when we were all like in this together and like watching people freak out, you know, online. Um, uh, we took it as like, well, I haven't had a vacation since 2015. So like, let's, and, and you know, I'll, I live in Nashville and some of the breweries ended up like delivering to our house. I'm like, what? this is awesome party. But, um, but yeah, as things like moved on and then, cause we still had some pending dates, you know, and, and all of these tours had to be canceled. We were supposed to go overseas. There were all these little things that we were going to be doing um, whilst peppering and writing a record. And so that wasn't happening. So it really just forced us to be creative and it forced me to keep my hands busy because you know, what is that whole thing? You know, idle hands, the devil's handiwork or devil's <laughs> workshop. It's very true. <laughs> you couldn't just focus on the record though, right? Because you got to have time to kind of rest your brain and step away from it. Did you develop any new hobbies that are completely non-music related because you just got bored? Um, yeah, I, I dabbled in a bunch of a bunch of different projects. Um uh, I mean, they were all a little bit of an extension of what I do, but not necessarily performing. Um, I got to try my hand at some hosting jobs. I got to be on on the other side of the coin where you normally for 100 shows have been, which much respect, girl, because it is um, it is a lot harder to be the interviewer than it is to be the interviewee. <laughs> are you talking about are you talking about the show? No cover. Uh, yeah, no cover. And then I ended up doing um, I I started hosting for um, a show on Access TV called uh, called A Year in Music. And then I also did my own show for a second, uh, which I just focused a lot on mental health and and um, called Raise Your Horns. And I got to interview, you know, obviously all my friends like Amy Lee, but then also Alice Cooper was on my show and like a bunch of that was really fun. Uh, just little distractions. I did. I did start dabbling into painting. I don't necessarily think I can call myself a an artist, but it did. It it was fun to get messy. So yeah, I tried different hands at things. It is weird being on the other side of an interview, right? When you're prepping oh, yeah. an interview, tell me if I'm wrong. I think it's harder to interview someone that I know. Oh yeah. Because I'm always afraid I'm going to bring up something that I know in confidence because I'm friends with them. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're bringing up real shit in an interview that everyone else is going to hear. And you're like, Oh, <gasps> Does everybody else know that or is that just me? I know. Well, the thing is that so I uh, that particular interview, I ended up having to like remember that because um, uh, so I got to interview Taylor Momsen 
of the Pretty Reckless. And during lockdown, um, she was my happy hour buddy, Zoom happy hour buddy uh, for, for a while. So we would, you know, get on, you know, whatever, Zoom or FaceTime and like just talk about everything, like all the dirt. And so I had to like literally have like a notepad right in front of me be like, don't do that. Don't talk about that. We're going to focus on this. Yeah, it's a lot harder to interview people, you know, same with, with like performing for people that like, if it's your family, I feel like it's similar. Like anytime, like I have family over for like a holiday or something, they're like, oh, Lizzie, like you should sing that Christmas song at the piano. I'm like, I don't want to sing in front of you. <laughs> I'd rather sing in front of strangers, not people that like knew me in diapers, you know? And I've done thousands of interviews in my career. I mean, I, I, I recently hit my 24 years on the air anniversary. It's going Ooh, to happen. Thank you. It's going to happen where you ask a question that you wish you could shove back into your throat. <laughs> Did you ask somebody something and you're just like, I can't freaking believe I just asked them that. Um, you know, I, I don't think it was anything super detrimental, but I do have a tendency to be a huge dork. So I feel like there were a, a lot of moments where I just like, I said something and I'm like, oh, that was so cheesy. Like you're talking to like this legendary guy. Like, I feel like I was talking to, uh, um, some of the girls from L7 and I was like trying to like, um, just be real cool about it. Cause they're like quintessentially like the coolest. And, uh, and I feel like I said something super cheesy about like, you know, the, early beginnings of, of their career. I'm just like, they don't want to talk about that. Okay, it's just, why did I do that? But yeah, so definitely a lot of dorkism. I've had to accept a lot of that about myself. That's not necessarily going away anytime soon. <laughs> we talked about it when you were on with Amy Lee, when you guys announced the co-headlining tour with Evanescence about this, this era where women have really kind of mm. stepped to the forefront when it comes to rock. You look back at L7, as a great yeah. example of a time where it wasn't as easy for them. No, not at all. They, they were, they were the Queens of, of thrash, you know, rock. And, and they had this crazy gnarly sound that really, I mean, they weren't even paying attention. Like, like I, I remember talking with them about um, how, when I was a kid, I kind of had some blinders on, you know, it's not like I was super prepared. Like nobody sat me down and was like, Hey, by the way, you're going to be treated a little differently because of your chick and the business and all that. I just had my blinders on. So I would forget a lot of times that like, I'm a girl until somebody would bring it up. And what I love about them, and especially those early videos of them just like laying waste to the stage is that they weren't even thinking about it. And I, I think that's so incredibly empowering, you know, and then of course, you know, you go through those those small, th those, those hurdles that only we know as being in this industry, um, yourself included, you know, of trying to not only prove that you, um, that, <laughs> that you can do all the things that you say you can do, but prove that you deserve to be there. And, uh, and, and for a very, very superficial reason, which is out of our control is that I was born a girl. If I was born a dude, I'd still be doing this same thing. I guarantee you. You just wouldn't so, be wearing those heels or maybe you would yeah. be. <laughs> maybe you never know. You never know. <laughs> I have, I, I, uh, that, that, that reminds me. So, um, we were in Auckland, New Zealand, uh, back, you know, BC before COVID got to open up for Judas Priest. And I was talking to Rob Halford, who is the sweetest man in metal, by the way. Just and a doll. We were walking out to the buses and I still had my heels on. And, uh, and he looks at my shoes. He's like, oh, I wish I had a pair just like that. So I found one. I found a pair just like them, but in his size. So I did a little detective work, like 
you know, got together with some of these people. I'm like, does he have a mailing address? Uh, and ended up getting getting it to him for Christmas. And uh, he posted some pictures of himself in some heels. So I'm very, I'm I was going to say, I feel moment. like I saw pictures of him in those heels thanking you for the gift. So, so you never know if, if I were a dude, maybe I'd be, uh, I'd be just a little bit bigger feet, maybe. <laughs> so talking about this, you know, you talked about it with Amy Lee, this new tour with Taylor Momsen, your, <laughs> your happy hour buddy and the warning and Lilith czar, uh, you're continuing to, to kind of put this kind of tour together this summer. You're coming to the leader bank pavilion in Boston in July. Like, look out. Cause the badass bitches are coming. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's very important. I mean, it was important for Amy and I to do that. But also, I mean, it's just really stemming off of that. I'm in a beautiful position. I'm so lucky um, to, you know, obviously there was a hard work to get here, too. But I am so lucky to be in a position that I'm able to be um, on this wave with so many other amazing artists. And so to to be able to literally be in a position where you can pick and choose and just decide, be like, okay, I'm going to have my buzz in Pretty Reckless out because she's just a badass. And then, and then you have the warning who I've, who I've never toured with. I think this is going to be one of their first, um, around the country. And they're three sisters from Mexico and they're all under 21. It's like, I want to give them that opportunity. And then the same thing with Lil Azar, we became super friends when we were out with, uh, you know, with Evanescence. And so just basically one of those things like, Hey, what are you doing this summer? <laughs> and and it's great because the, what I love about talking about it, and I know that you know there's 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 this balancing out act between making it into something, making it into this you know chick rockdom uh, you know uh, situation. But I feel like we're in a we're in a time right now where we're we're you know uh, putting all of that on a pedestal and really showing all of these young girls. And no matter, regardless of whether you want to be, a, you know, a musician, you can look at every single one of us on stage and see yourself in every single one of us and, you know, literally living proof that you can do anything that you want to do. And what I remember that happening for me when I first heard Ann Wilson sing live, it sounds really silly, but it, it was like, oh, girls can sound like that. And I'm a girl. Cool. That makes it possible. And it makes it, you know. I don't know that bridge to your dream just a little shorter. So I don't know. I'm, I I love being that right now. And I feel like at, it, at this point in time with all of the crap going on in the world, why not, you know, why not put that out there? So yeah. I just had Ann Wilson on the show and oh, I awesome. talked to her on zoom and I literally screamed when the zoom window popped up and Ann freaking Wilson yes. was sitting there. I was like, ah, <laughs> I just, I recently just got to meet her in person for the first time. And, um, uh, what a soft-spoken, lovely lady she is, you know? And, uh, I feel like that's with most people who have very loud voices. She's very, oh, she's very nice. And, um, and I was so happy that I was able to, uh, tell her that and tell her that she was so monumental in, in, um, I, I would not be the person that I or the singer that I am today without her. And also just thanking her for not giving up, because if that had been her narrative, if the narrative had been, you know, Ann Wilson tried, you know, and Ann Wilson, but it got too hard or people didn't take her seriously and, and she gave up, then that might have been my narrative, too. But the fact that, you know, they had to push through so much more than than I've even had to push through. And it was because they her and her sister broke that door down so that I could see this, so I could stumble through it. You know? <laughs> well, one of the other things that I've noticed in, in, 
in all of the interviews that I've been doing recently, and you brought it up earlier, you are another artist I can add to the list of people that are making rock music in Nashville. Like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> what is going on in Nashville? It seems like rock musicians kicked the door in and they were like, that's nice. You guys have been making country music here, yeah. but we're coming we're, in. We're taking over. Well, when I first moved here, I've, I've been living in Nashville for about nine years now. And everybody in you know, my home state of Pennsylvania were like, why are you moving to Nashville? That's like country music town. And what I discovered that there's a huge rock and metal scene, but it was all underground. And now we're starting to climb up through the sewers, man. It's really cool. It, and, um, and everybody's moving here and there's like, what an amazing community. I remember, I think within the first year that I moved here, I found myself on stage at this small club called the Mercy Lounge. And there was uh, Kip Winger, um, the original Joan Jett and the Blackhearts drummer, um, Rachel Boland from Skid Row on bass. And we're all doing a Judas Priest cover or something like that. And I'm like, I look around, I'm like, what is life right now? This is, I need, to, I think I need to stay, <laughs> you know, because we moved here kind of on a whim. We were following the guitars and, uh, and trying to, you know, be closer to where the buses come in and out and, you know, just basically, you know, saving some money on the road and then just fell in love with it. So yeah, if you're a rock musician, this is the place to be right now. It's, it's insane. The artists that are making music there or either just go in there to record a record. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's studios that there, I think there's more studios than churches and there's a lot of churches <laughs> and some of the churches turned into studios. So <laughs> it's, it's such a weird kind of community too, because it's based on, the the art of songwriting but they churn it out like like a factory product it's so strange the way that it's structured creativity it, it is it is uh, you know and i've dabbled in some of that scene and um it, it's just a rotating door you know and and uh, and everybody wants to stop at 5 because that's beer o'clock um so like but i remember but you know there is there are certain small communities and people that get together that try to get together and write something really meaningful. And then there's the other side of that where it's just like, I'm writing a song to write a song, which, um, you know, as an artist, I, I do tend to do that as an exercise to keep that, you know, keep, <laughs> keep the, the wheel greased as we say, I guess. Um, but, uh, but when you're sitting down to kind of write your actual record, you can't just write songs just for the sake of the fact that they're songs and not really have something connected to it. So there is a grand balance out here. Um, but yeah, that's it. I mean, it's definitely one of those when we, for, you know, and now all four of us are out here and anytime that we go to a bar or like a, or a restaurant and like, somebody will ask like, Oh, are you guys in a band? You know, it's like, yeah, it's like, Oh yeah, me too. You know, no, it's like, it's like actors in, in Hollywood. Like everybody is a musician. Everybody's a songwriter. Everyone has something going on for them. So, whereas when I was growing up in Pennsylvania, it's like, if you say that you're in a band, they're like, do you know Metallica? I'm like, no, I don't know. I'm playing the corner bar. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know Metallica. <laughs> I'm so fortunate with what I do to be surrounded by these creative people and the art of songwriting the actual craft fascinates mm -hmm. me because I can't do it so I ask songwriters this question and the answers are always fascinating so I'm gonna pose it to you as okay. a songwriter and this is a songwriting question okay. give me an example or two of a song you think is so well crafted that you covet it and wish you wrote it. And I don't care the artist, I don't care the genre, but I want you to break down why it's brilliant songwriting from a songwriter's perspective. 
Okay. Um, God, there's so many of them. Um, I'm going to end up having to go with uh, the the late, great Tom Petty. Um, and it's probably, let's see, there's so many great songs. I mean, Wildflowers is amazing. Uh, but let's go with, uh, I just heard recently, um, uh, Angel Dream. And for me, the mark of a great songwriter is to write something that's so incredibly specific yet so incredibly broad at the same time, because at any point in time, I can hear that song and it means something different. Is it a love song? Is it something, you know, did somebody die? Is somebody with him now? Is it for his wife? Um, you know, same thing with wildflowers. Are you letting somebody go? Are you letting somebody in? Um, and my theory on this, and, and this is something that I, I keep rediscovering and I keep uh, trying to have as kind of my mission statement every time I sit down to write a song. If you are writing from your core, your, um, your seat of your emotions, if you are writing from, a, from an intimate place, from a personal place, writing about what you know, that, you know that's, that's something that people say around here all the time, write what you know. You know don't try to write something for your audience. Don't try to write something for the radio because that's going to end up kind of squishing the meaning or, you know, or, or watering it down, so to speak. But what happens is that when you write from your core and you write from that, that fundamental truth, what happens, I don't know why I'm zooming out right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> cameras. Wow. We're like Wayne's world. I know. That's um, what I was thinking too. <laughs> but when, when that happens, it be actually in turn becomes more universal because what you realize during that process is that if you were truly feeling something in that process, that actually you are not alone in that. And millions of other people were going through that. So you're able to touch somebody's life um, not because you set out to touch anybody's life or not because you said, this is going to change the world. You, 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 nobody knows that, but because you were writing from you, um, you know, you inadvertently find out that you were not alone in your feelings. And then all of a sudden that opens up the whole world. And I feel like Tom Petty really, I mean, as a, as an American songwriter, just hit the nail on the head in so many different of his songs. That's why it's so well-crafted. But I mean, of course I could say the late, great Jeff Buckley as well, um, you know, or, or even, even Pearl Jam um, where it's, you know, it's, it's this feeling and they're able to keep that thing churning. And there's, and that's part of the nineties too, between, you know, Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains, they wrote in a very vague way, you know, whereas like, really you can interpret the lyrics however you want to. Yeah, there's no there's no hidden meaning in girls, 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 but (laughs) no disrespect to Motley Crue, but it's just a different style of writing. It is. It is. And believe me, I'm all right with that as well. I mean, I for heaven's sake, I have I have a song called Apocalyptic where I literally say red handprint across my ass. You can't really say that. was. What did she mean by that? Super deep moment, you know, but uh, yeah. So sometimes you got, sometimes you got to just party. (laughs) You're part of this group of people and bands that can say that, that started at such an early formative age. There are certain Mm -hmm. art, you know, Brad Arnold from three doors down, same kind of thing. The days of the new guys that started like in high school. And it's like, think of another a job career choice where you can make the decision that early on and not regret it. Right. I know. I, I think about this far too often, especially this year, because my little brother who was also in my band for, for those of you watching, he's my drummer. Um, you know, it's, 
he, he and I did the math, apparently 2022. So in August, on August 9th, will be the 25th anniversary of our first show ever as Hailstorm. And that was when I was 13 years old. So technically I've been in this band longer than I haven't been in this band. So when people ask me like, well, what else would you have done? Like, I don't even know because I literally chose this right after I was going to be a forest ranger or something when I was nine. So it's like, (laughs) which didn't work out by the way. I wanted to be the girl on the trapeze at the circus. Obviously that didn't happen. Uh, (laughs) There's still time. time. Never say never, Carrie. Yes. You never run out of dreams. Um, but it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and I, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, music chose us, not the other way around. And the fact that we're still doing it, the fact that we still like each other, the fact that we, all, all four of us, I mean, uh, the, the current members, Joe, Josh, RJ, and I, we've been together, um, since we were late teens, I was 18, 19 when we all met. And, uh, RJ was always with me. And so that was 2004. Three. So like we haven't killed each other yet in that aspect either. So one of our bigger accomplishments. <laughs> what would that 13 year old girl say, not only about the success of Hailstorm, but the graphic novel, the TV hosting things you got going on, that you'd be on a tour with all, I hate to use the term with the bunny ear quotes, female fronted rock bands. Yeah. Like could that 13 year old Lizzie Hale, could she have even imagined Absolutely not. Um, there have been so many twists and turns in, in our journey that um, I would have never predicted that um, I would have never believed could actually happen. Um, but there's also there is a difference between between believing that you're capable of maybe great things, but then things actually happening. You know, it's, I, I know so many amazingly talented bands, you know, that never even make it to their first major release, you know, or may, or never make it past their first release or never even get past the bar and local scene. So it's just, you know, it's one of those things that we're very lucky. Um, obviously we've worked hard. We have never given up. Um, even if that means, you know, taking two steps back every now and then, you know, in order to take, take a, a leap of faith forward. Um, but it's, uh, it's just amazing. It's amazing. It would, it would blow her little mind. I feel like, especially considering that I, you know, I'm kind of a reformed introvert. I, I was a very shy child and I cite this band with showing me how to develop some type of self-confidence and actually have something that's mine, take ownership of something that I feel is special about myself. And, um, so yeah, I would be a very different person (laughs) if I had not chosen this as my path. (laughs) How would that 13 year old with the keytar done on no cover? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know. I, I think that if I had seen her, I probably would, I would be encouraging as in I'd be like, you have something going on, but you have a little ways to go yet. <laughs> I don't think I would have thrust her into a, uh, into a record deal just yet. Um, but I probably would have been like, I have one of those. <laughs> you seem you like know. the nicer of the judges. Some of those you comments know, are pretty harsh. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there, I had my moments. There were a couple there were a couple, you know, things that really needed to be said about, um, about some attitude adjustments, um, girl. <laughs> from some of the, from some of the, uh, contestants. Um, but for the most part, you know, I mean, you know, me, I, I, 
I want to be encouraging, but I also don't want to give anybody like the illusion of, you know, if, if I see that you're going down the wrong path, let me give you some advice. Um, but what, a, what a wonderful thing to be a part of, you know, here, here we are all walks of life, myself, Gavin Rosdale, Alice Cooper, Tosin Nabasi, and, and Bishop Briggs, and all able to, you know, in some, we're all on different tiers in this business and we've all learned so much, you know, from our, from our early beginnings. So to be able to just kind of unpack some of that um, for some of these young artists, for me, it was kind of a win-win for all of them, regardless of whether they took, you know, home the the big prize or whatever, you know, it's like they get to have advice straight from the, straight from the horse's mouth, (laughs) Mr. Ellis Cooper, you know, who's been doing it for, you know, Ever. So it's longer just, uh, than we've all been alive. Like, <laughs> he's still doing it, man. That man, he has such amazing stage presence. He never calls it in. What a what a nice dude. What a great what a what a great what a legend. <laughs> Before I let you go, um, you guys were some of the first bands to go out on the road, even before, you know, kind of the world really opened back up again. What has it meant to you? Because I talked to you about this before you and Amy went on the tour. So I'm curious what your reaction is now. What was it like for you to finally get to be with the fans again in person? Like, what was that reunion like for you? Oh, it was amazing. Um, well, first of all, my my beautiful panic, which is I, still a little bit of nerves that usually starts about 10 minutes before we go on, or that used to be how it is, um, started like right after sound check. Like in those first couple shows, I'm just like, oh my God, it's real. It's real. We're actually have a show. Uh, do I know my parts? Oh God. Uh, but but what I what's changed, what's changed for the better is that we are all completely appreciating and living in every single moment, you know, like not just what's on stage, but everything that goes on backstage, all of the just being together and being able to, to say that we're a band and be able to step out there and play in front of people. That, that's just different. Now, a, a lot of the things that maybe I would have been preoccupied with, which is like, with like, Oh, you know, am I going to hit this note or am I going to do this? And it's like, you know what? let's just go up there and just lay everything out on the stage and play a show like it's going to be stolen from us again. And, uh, and that's what we've been doing. And I've, I've been, and then it, there's a difference with the audience too. The audience is living the exact same way. I mean, they're going to these shows like it's their last show. And so it's like the whole place just kind of levitates and there's this immense feeling almost this war cry of of survival and and unity and togetherness and you know like you said that communion that fellowship that you get to have with everybody and it's just it's just magical and it's not like I didn't know that before you know I I don't think we've ever really taken a whole lot for granted but it just you have this just great appreciation for what music has done for you and had and and continues um to be that keystone in your life. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very proud to be a, a rock fan. I'm proud to be a rock musician and I'm proud to still be, <laughs> do some gigs. <laughs> do you have that nervous feeling about the, the release date coming up? Like, does it make you a little nervous about how the record's going to get received? A little bit, a little bit. It's a little nerve wracking, but, um, but it's more excitement. It's like, I'm just, I can't believe that we're going to be releasing a record. We're finally, it's happening, you know? And, and, um, I was thinking about that because as is tradition um, on the release day, I'm probably going to go to um, at least two of the local shops around here and, and buy the album, you know, as a tradition. I love and, that um, tradition. 
but but every time I think about like seeing it in person, like in, in a store with like a sticker that says for sale, you know, I get like emotional about it. So I don't know whether there's going to be like just being misty or if there's going to be tears. I don't know. It's just been a long road to get here. So um, it's going to be kind of a, a relief to to have it out there and have it received. But I'm so proud of it. And I know, I know that not not only our fan base that has been following us for years and everybody who's, who's just been maniacal and coming to eight shows in a row and doing the whole thing, not only those people, but even if you're hearing Hailstrom for the very first time, I, I feel like you're going to see a lot of yourself on this album and, and uh, crank it up. Damn it. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see you at the Leader Bank Pavilion. It's such a great yeah. outdoor venue in Boston, right on the harbor. It's like oh, right, one of my favorites. right downtown. It's like, it's so nice. It's going to be so much fun. That's, I'm very much looking forward to that show. It just, I, there's something about playing like right next to the harbor there. It just like makes you feel special. And I don't know, just something about it. So I'll bring you some nice tea. Stuff. You can toss it in. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to need a bucket full of tea bags. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. I'm so happy for you that the record's coming out. And I will see you with the Pretty Reckless and the yes. Warning and Lilith Czar coming up in July at the Pavilion. It was so good to see you. So great to see you, too. As always, a pleasure. And um, congratulations, 100 shows. 100 shows. <laughs> Woo-hoo! All right, I'll see you later, Lizzie. Thank you. All right. Love you, darling. Love you, too. We'll see you soon. You got it. There she is, the one and only Lizzie Hale, my guest on episode 100 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. The new Hailstorm album, Back from the Dead, is coming out this Friday, May 6th. And you can see Hailstorm on tour this summer with The Pretty Reckless, The Warning, and Lilith Czar. They're making a stop in Boston at the Leader Bank Pavilion on July 19th. There's a link in the show notes of this podcast to give you more ticket information. And while you're there, check out the corresponding playlist. I make one for every full-length episode of the podcast, and it is filled with the music that we talked about, both the new Hailstorm and all of the other artists that we talked about in the interview. And don't forget, if you liked what you heard, subscribe and follow the Mistress Carrie podcast. Meta is pulling the automatic podcast feed off of Facebook pages in the coming weeks. Just search the Mistress Carrie podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And there's always links at mistresscarry.com. While you're there, check out my online store, my blog, my photo gallery, and the event calendar with all of the concerts and events coming to New England in the coming year. And I want to send a special happy Mother's Day out to all of the moms, including the best mom in the world, mine. Although I may be a little biased. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits, perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Ooh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about those sounds? 
Those are the sounds of an LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity, serving up a powerful yet gentle clean in just 29 minutes. Making this the sound of savings on the best appliance brands. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Get up to 25% off the LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity and reduced wash time. Pricing valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. Gas dryer extra. U.S. only. See store or online for details. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 